0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Mission Impossible show with Coach MJ.
1: Are you ready? We
0: search the globe for the most amazing people who have overcome incredible obstacles, demonstrated amazing resilience, and done the impossible. I said, are you ready? Me the real-life heroes of Mission Impossible from around the world be inspired, be motivated. Join, Join the, the Real Co-Coach Coach MJ, MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Hi, this is Coach MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Today, I have Dr. Bob Choate. He has a PA, he holds two PhDs. He's a martial arts expert, a former United States Marine doing recon in Vietnam. He's also served in the Los Angeles Police Department. He's been a consultant to many different businesses. He's owned his own He's got a great story to tell, but today we've asked him to come on as an expert for our new program about Kung Fu leadership. And he's our go-to sensei and a mentor to be able to walk us through the power of belief. And so, Dr. Choate, without further ado, thank you so much officially now on the Mission Impossible show. Thank you for today.
1: This is great, and thank you for having me on, MJ.
0: Yes, sir. Well, it's been an honor. I, we've uh, had an opportunity to speak countless times. I've enjoyed every single conversation. I always walk away and learn from you each and every time. And I can't wait to share some of your wisdom with our audience today. Uh, the topic today, I'm, I'm using the word belief because belief is such a big part of uh, in psychology. They say that belief is, is a big part. Also in healing, belief is a big part. We've just kind of talked about that a few minutes before the show. And and also in leadership. So could you just give us a little idea from a psychological point of view, how important is belief and does it actually go to work on our brains?
1: Sure. Yes. So yes, belief is, is is critically important in a lot of different areas. And, 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 you, and you mentioned... Uh, belief in for example in a a health area and so when we believe that something can help us that's called the placebo effect on the other hand if we believe something that can harm us even though it's not proven to harm us and like when we think about like um, voodoo as, a, as, an, as an example, that's a belief system that creates what's called the nocebo effect. So it's just the opposite of the placebo e- effect. So that's just an example in terms of those areas. When it comes to leadership, especially with, with, with ourselves, beliefs are very important. A, a lot of people will have a belief, and especially when, when, when they uh, get promoted, let's say uh, to a CEO. And one of the things I've had to deal with with a lot of CEOs is their belief that they're not worthy. So they go down this this deep uh, rabbit hole, even though they're 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 supposed to be up there and leading an organization, and they may have gotten promoted to the to that point where uh, they have no idea why, uh, but because of of, of their actions, and, and they've been excellent in terms of what they did. But their belief system may end up um, ultimately self-sabotaging them. Now, here's here's the the opposite of that: overconfidence. So there are those CEOs that have a sense of overconfidence, which will lead to self-sabotage as, as well. So we have to balance the that that line when it comes to beliefs, and we have to constantly challenging challenge the the beliefs that, that that we have. For example, things that I've learned, especially like in psychology and neuroscience, if I was to go back 20 years ago and there's stuff that, that that I learned, well guess what? There's new information. So we have to like challenge the beliefs that we have from something that may have worked at one time and and adopt new information because information, especially in today's world, is, is rapidly changing. If we were to go back to the 1920s, and I'm gonna take an area of, let's say, engineering, and, 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 and this would apply to a lot of different things. So the 1920s, the knowledge that one would get at that point in time, well, it, it, it remains good for about 35 years. Now we fast forward to the 1960s when things started advancing faster and information started speeding up the information at that time that we got uh, was good for about 10 years. Now in today's world, anything that we learn like three years ago, we're going to have to now learn new stuff because the, the, the lifespan of information today and knowledge that, that that we have is about three years. So it's constantly shifting and constantly growing. So we have to look at, did what I learned as a leader and, and how to run an organization or anything else uh, 20 years ago, does it still apply today? So you have to look at it. Does it still apply today? Yes, there may be a lot of things that that do, but there's a lot of stuff that don't. I know in organizations, one of the things that, uh, was big years ago, uh, like, um, uh, re-engineering, So re-engineering, uh, an organization, uh, was the big buzzword. Well, it no longer applies today. And then fast forward. And then the big thing that, that, that came in later, especially in the two thousands was, uh, a thing called Six Sigma. So a lot of these people, including leaders and everything like that, they would get people that would get their certifications in Six Sigma, and and I did it. I ended up getting my Six Sigma black belt, and and Six Sigma, while it applied and and it worked, things shifted. Now uh, it's much different t- today. So what it, what worked 20 years ago with a lot of management principles and everything is now almost worthless because things again, rapidly change. So, so as leaders, we have to go back and, and, and challenge our beliefs. That's, that's one aspect of belief. The other aspect is the belief that we have in ourselves that we can get something done. And if we have a negative aspect of that, uh, and, and, and a lot of people have these self-destructive kind of beliefs uh, w- within th- themselves. So I suggest people to think about beliefs as a table and, and you have like four legs on a table. And now you, you want to almost be like a, like an investigator, like a police de- detective or a scientist. And you want to search for evidence that either confirms a belief or, or, or is it uh, um, based in, in false information. So you want to examine it. You want to take a third person perspective when when you do this. The problem is, is when we're in the belief itself, we we become subjective. So we are not able to evaluate it uh, in terms of the right ways. So we step out, take a third person perspective, and start challenging each belief, break it down, be a detective. Is this really based in fact? If it's not, guess what? One leg goes away. And eventually, the whole belief system that you once thought that applied to you, uh, that maybe you weren't good enough or this and that, it comes collapsing. Down, So, MJ, uh, what, what are your, your thoughts on that?
0: I remember when you said this just a moment ago, I remember you discussing with me on some earlier sessions that we had, we had done together online that the human brain, for example, it was said that it, it only had the capacity of, of using, that uh, we're only using actually 5% of it and that it had the, this enormous capacity. And not only that, I heard People like Tony Robbins and other speakers say this, and and I repeated it in training, et cetera, and then latched on to it, um, and it became as common as the cold, or it's or as as sure as the North Star. I mean, that's the way it is. That's the information we have, and that's and then I found out from you that's not true at all. Now with this new information,
1: yeah. So there's even other information because I'm constantly asking asking questions is what I learned um, is, is it still effective does it still have meaning and everything like that for example uh, you've heard of the four stages of, of learning
0: remind us please
1: okay so the first stages of learning uh, it starts out so so the first stage of learning is is called um, uh uh, gosh, you know, my, my mind just went blank and let me, um, just, um, bring it in. So, uh, unconscious incompetence. See now it finally, drawn. so, 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 so the first stage is unconscious incompetence. Basically what, what that says is that we don't know that we don't know. Then the second stage is conscious incompetence. So that's where it now goes to, we know that we don't know. The third stage is conscious competent. So, so as we we're, we're going through learning, now we go to that uh, we know that we know. And the fourth stage is unconscious competent. So that means we don't know that we know. Now, this has been taught in a lot of uh, especially uh, people who become trainers will will learn that. But in in other areas. Of learning. And as I started looking into this and and studying other areas and, and including the areas of bias, how does bias come into play in terms of our learning, in terms of our beliefs and so forth, they have a profound effect. And it turns out that the first stage of unconscious incompetence and a four stage of unconscious competence uh, that's where biases will really show their faces it'll be really pop out and because we we don't know we're unconscious to the biases so when we're conscious of 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 things in our life, including our beliefs, uh, then we, 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 we're aware that, that they may or may not apply. And same thing with, with, with the biases. we may even have biases against ourselves and, and biases against other people. We all have biases. It's only when we're conscious of that fact is when we can make changes. So going through these four stages of learning I more recently discovered there's actually a fifth stage that's not taught. So it's called reflective competence. So reflective competence is stepping outside of of, of ourselves from a third person perspective, and then reflecting back on on what we just learned, and and really uh, investigate ourselves. And, and even taking the thing that uh, Socrates said, know thyself. So knowing thyself is also knowing our biases. So how do our biases play into what we learn, what we teach, what we show others. So I do that now on a regular basis. I look and, and I would ask myself, Bob, what are your biases towards this? Because if we say that we don't have a bias, then then we will never learn, we'll never grow, uh, we'll never be able to expand. But it's only when we recognize that when we can take control and make changes. So that's the true path to, to self-mastery or even mastering of a skill is when we understand that. That's where true wisdom comes in is being able to have that. And as a leader, we have to recognize that as well. We have to have... Uh, that ability to be reflective in terms of our own competence. And when we do that, and by the way, very, very few people reach that level. Again, going back to Socrates, Socrates uh, believed that only people who understand philosophy and and rise to that level of wisdom should be leaders. So I learned this and, and I said, you know, I'm if, if if I'm going to be better at what I do, then I need to have that reflective competence um, incorporated in. And so, what I learned before, and what I taught as an NLP master trainer and teaching in other classes as a trainer or, or master trainer, I have to even reevaluate those aspects. So, what applied years ago when I was teaching classes and so forth and teaching. This the, the 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 four stage model. Uh, I had to reevaluate and add, now I'm adding the reflective competence aspect to 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 the way I I teach.
0: So we continue. We have to be continually learning things. We have to be lifelong learners. And if we're going to really take leadership on as a skill that we want to master. Um, then, then it's a nonstop commitment to constantly improve. This is, this is what the whole idea of Kung Fu in, in martial arts is, is constant improvement, uh, constantly uh, in, in improving your life and your lifestyle. Yes?
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah, I've been doing martial arts ever since my mother put the stick in my hand, was teaching me kendo. Uh, I could barely even walk then. And, and just getting up there, just being that little um, toddler running around and, and repeating what my mother said. Uh, and, and, and as I'm doing the um, strikes in the air and everything like that. So it, it was interesting as I think back on that. And, and then later on in Okinawa from age five, age eight, studying Goju and, and my sensei back during that period of time, who had been part of the early days. He was actually older at that point in time. And he had seen the transition of of karate, and it wasn't called karate till later on. And there was no belt systems when he was doing it as a young man. Uh, back in in the early part of the 20th century it was just uh, different masters getting together uh, people getting together and and feeding off of each other learning from from each other and and there was like you know like like there wasn't like this system or this system or this system just people had their own ways of doing stuff and and then learning and and it wasn't until when the Japanese came into Okinawa and started looking at that they started developing this, this kind of system, and then they adopted the belt system from judo to, uh, to create this karate. Uh, and, and so I like to look at when, when I master anything or when I um, help others, including leaders, uh, master, not to look at so much as a belt system but as uh, becoming a true master. If we go back to uh, centuries ago when we had the apprentice master system and including in, 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 in uh, the martial arts, like if we think about the martial arts of the samurai or, or the martial arts in, 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 in Kung Fu in, in China with, with the monks, they didn't have a belt system. What they had was that the students would, would start going through a series of, uh, of growth and, and mastery and, and they would be challenged. This is something I don't see in, in a lot of our martial arts or our educational system organizations. They, they, they tend to have you focus in terms of one area till, till, till you get the right answer or, or the right this or right that. In the old days, and and still in in Japan, when I look at our our educational system, they challenge you, at, in in a way that you're you're trying to find the answer, but looking at a lot of different ways in in order to to get to that point. We don't do that in the United States in our educational system, nor do we do it anywhere else because our, even our, our businesses are reflection of our educational system. Our, the, 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 the way the martial arts are taught in most martial arts schools is a, is a reflection of the Western way of, of thinking based on an educational system. But you go back to the ancient days. And when you had the, the master or the, or the teacher, it was about you discovering a self that discovery and how something works. And I know that Bruce Lee understood this when, when he eventually led to, to his Jeet Kune Do. And, and, and he would say that in terms of Jeet Kune Do, we all find our way. You create your own Jeet Kune Do. You find what works for you and what doesn't. And then you, you discard the rest. So the only way we can do that is to put ourselves out there. And especially as leaders, and, and I don't like to say leadership styles per se. What I like to say is that your leadership persona and, and, and really does it jive? It, is it able to work with the people that, that you lead? Yes, a servant leadership is very important because we are serving in terms of that way constantly, yet growth comes uh, even as a leader and others and is that, when we're challenging ourselves to look at things different that's where where growth occurs and it's not just following a, a a typical pattern in order to come up with an answer especially when it when it when it comes to leadership that's not how the brain works uh, the brain works by constantly challenging a, and growth and and there's been like research on one of the things I was reading about, like like for example in foreign languages, is to do a pretest to see to see where you're at. So basically, what the pretest does is that like you're like uh, for example in in if Italian language, so you you have English um, uh, words on one side and you have Italian words, but you don't, you've never studied Italian and your goal is to find out which words match which Italian word. And then, and then later you would go and then you, you would look at the, the actual answers. And it turns out when somebody does that, they actually will learn much faster than if they're, they're trying to like uh, being showed that this word equals this word. So once we we do this pretest, and this is off anything, uh, even even in the martial arts, you know, I am constantly testing myself. If if I come across like a new martial arts or anything like that, I I'm very analytical and I like to dissect it. But I like to test to see what works and what what doesn't. And then when somebody shows me the actual movement, and I said, "Aha, okay," then. I, I absorbed it, and I absorbed it many, many times faster than somebody who studied in, in a linear fashion for years. And I was able to uh, break down and understand Aikido in, in a weekend. So, so instead of many years, it just like, okay, I, I got it now. Now I know how it works.
0: Yes, but this is, of course – just so that we we can give everybody the idea, uh, Sensei, the uh, fundamentals that you learned over your lifetime enabled you to do that.
1: Yes, I, I think not not just the fundamentals of martial arts. It's really uh, a lot of different things I've learned throughout my lifetime because I'm I'm studied in a lot of different areas that allowed me to to look at, for example, Aikido. So I have, a, I have a bachelor's in physics and I understand physics of things. And and then I studied mechanics and I've worked on, on a car. Uh, I was able to, to uh, blueprint engines and take apart and all that kind of stuff and, and even swap engines from a large engine, putting in a smaller car and, and learning all, the, all that kind of stuff. And from there, I, I got to understand like movement. From from what I studied in physics, to to the mechanics I'm working on a car. I said, okay, so this is how Aikido works. It's basically just three wheels in terms of you have the short wheel, you know, you got steering wheel kind of thing. So You can steer people the way you want them to go. You got these big wheels, so you can now like direct people this way, right? And then you you have uh, this this. Large wheel, so it's all about like all these circular patterns in terms of moving. So you got even like really tiny wheels, this wheel, then uh, uh, this this wheel here. So you got the, even the the, the 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 tiny wheel like this, like when you're doing like a, a with with with, with and, and 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 doing a throw like that. So but it, it's all it's all very simple if you understand that, uh. and and you're able to to move like your your body in terms of that way then it's uh it it gets embedded into you once you figure it out and and you're able to apply all this kind of stuff and so i've been able to look at not just aikido but other martial arts and 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 being able to break it down in terms of own mind and and simplify and make adjustments and and learning i i started off learning by making mistakes and then I would be, come back from the mistakes and I would, uh, learn, uh, much faster. So I wasn't like, show, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. I just went out and I just did it. And then I, I understood that I had mistakes and then I was shown this way, this way, and this way. So that absorbed into me, uh, like collie doing, doing, doing collie. So I, I made my mistakes in ter- terms of doing it. I, I thought I was doing it right, but I went out and did it. And then I was shown the right way. Oh, aha. This is easy.
0: And uh, I understand you're one of your part-time hobbies these days is parkour.
1: Parkour. Yes. Yeah. I made my mistakes in that and, and, and I paid for it. And I, I, I remember I showed you the video that I had on YouTube and my face was all smashed up from a parkour fell and so I went out and, and I made my mistakes and, and then I got a teacher who, in fact, I got actually several parkour teachers that were high level parkour practitioners known as tracers, but they were, they, they were instructors. They had been in movies, doing movie stunts with parkour and everything. And so I learned from that where they showed me the precision of the movement. And so what I thought I was doing right. I, I was completely doing wrong, but I went out there, I made my mistakes. Then I was shown the right way and, and it tested out and just going back and forth and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think the problem with a lot of people like with parkour, they watch these people doing something like that or martial arts or anything else to watch YouTube videos. And they think that they can do that. No, you can't. You're yes. You, you, you're not going to be able to jump from one building to the next if, if you don't know the precision, but you want to make your mistakes at the lower level so you don't kill yourself like there's been people that's jumped and they've fallen to, to their death because they did not know what they were doing. So it's, it's really key in anything that you make your mistakes at at a lower level so you don't make high level mistakes and then you learn from those mistakes and and, and you and you. You, you learn and maybe you get a coach or something like that that can teach you specific techniques that will increase your precision, your accuracy, but also developing your physical body. But this applies to anything, it applies to, to leadership. You have somebody, uh, a, a coach that can help you in terms of your leadership abilities. You're going to go out there, you, you're going to make mistakes. And if you're a CEO, if you're uh, or, or in a C level and, and you don't have like true leadership, uh, uh, background and skills and everything. And, and you go out there because you, you've been promoted and, and, and I recall the book, uh, the, the Peter principle and, and in a book, um, Dr. Peter, he, he talked about, uh, that people will be promoted to the, to the level of incompetence you, you remember that book right
0: i remember hearing about the peter principle and being told as a young leader that the peter principle was exactly that for to be promoted to their point to their level of incompetence and i'm not sure if they were trying to tell me something or not but what i did realize is that what you've all you've said now about the, the mastery of parkour where you needed to fail fast and learn, fail fast and learn, correct, improve, get coaches, improve. The same for martial arts. Then, and you've risen and, and mastered several martial arts. Now we're segueing that over to leadership. And the question is where many people think that leadership is something that, you know, that they're at the maternity ward, there's a boys, there's girls and there's leaders, but others know that, People like yourself, certainly like me, who, you know, miserably had to go through uh, learning curves in leadership to be able to to increase their their ability. There has to be fundamentals to follow and fundamentals that can be taught so that leaders can master uh, their skills.
1: Correct. The problem I see where people confuse the, the the nurture versus nature aspect of, of leadership where people are born leaders and 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 there's that falsehood what 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 they're looking at are these people who have a high level of narcissism uh, and and that that raises the level of confidence to the level of overconfidence and and, and so the person that gets out there and, and, and they talk a good talk and all this kind of stuff, and, and, they're, and they're, they, 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 they say that I, I have all the answers when it comes to, to running this organization or doing this as a leader without really understanding uh, the issues at hand. And, and while you see these people making gut decisions, and sometimes there's successes. A lot of times what people don't hear about are the failures through that kind of stuff. And a problem with the high narcissist when it comes to leadership is that they'll blame the failures on other people. And they will accept all the successes. Even if the success came from somebody else, they will accept the, the success They'll say, you know, this is mine. This is what I did. And then when it, the failures, you guys did it, you know, I, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. But people think that person is a true leader. And when they're not, true leaders uh, are the ones that, again, I uh, talked earlier about the servant leader. True leaders um, take the, the, the responsibility of the failures to their self and and the successes is to the to the team to the organization to other people who had the contributions so uh, while it's important for us to acknowledge in terms of the positive things that we did but we also have to acknowledge the the the, um, bad things that happen because if we don't acknowledge that we'll never be able to make adjustments. It goes back to what you said earlier, the, the, the the failure aspect. If you don't acknowledge that, that you made some decisions that caused a failure to happen. And a lot of people are are scared to, to acknowledge that they can lose that, that that they can fail. And that uh, is a, big sign of a toxic leader when you cannot accept failure and when you get into the blame aspect. So you want to go to being a growth oriented leader you're going to fail as a leader. but It's really important when you acknowledge that failure, you can say, okay, what happened? Uh, what decisions did I make? Uh, that led to this? And how can I make adjustments? Uh, did I uh, maybe delegate wrong? Did I do A, B and C wrong? So when, when you're able to step back, and, and I said earlier, uh, regarding the stages of, the, of, of growth, and you have the, ref, re, the reflective part, right? Re, reflective competence, that's the part in reflective competence you're looking back and, and you're saying, okay, what happened here? How did this happen? How did, how did Bob? So now I'm taking a, a third person view. How did Bob allow this to happen? What did Bob do? What was, his, what were Bob's thoughts? Where he, was he biased in, in the decisions that he made uh, was, was Bob um, not understanding the, 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 the organizational the process as, as a whole or, or anything else. So when you, when you take it from that perspective without having yourself in it emotionally, then you, 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 can, um, really make the changes necessary when when you're back in as a, as a leader. And that's really key. And I like to use, uh, the, the, again, uh, take in the aspect of, of being a detective on on my own leadership style or anything else that, that I do. So I'm the detective, I'm the scientist, and I'm able to to make uh, adjustments and and maybe uh, change the, the formula in terms of what I did.
0: And something like that in leadership would be having a, some the guidelines, having the fundamental roadmap being made, and then having the leader, learn these fundamentals so that they can master this and once they then they can have their their own style but without doing anything like that they run the risk of bringing in observations of leadership sometimes wrong observations or observations of people doing leadership in a wrong way and that can bring toxicity into an organization
1: correct correct You know, I I think about like leadership moments and, and, and uh, I I recall uh, the battle at at Gettysburg back uh, during, during civil war, back in 1863, uh, July 1st to the third, to, to be precise. And, and had Gettysburg fallen, the, the South uh, led by uh, Robert E. Lee's, um, um, forces could have marched all the way to Washington DC and things would have completely shifted at, at that point in time. And, and you want to talk about like leadership on the go and, and, and really understanding and, and making decisions on a fly. So there was a, an area at, uh, at the battles Gettysburg called little round top and little round top was on the left flank of the union army. And it was a critical area, very strategic had little round top fallen just that one area. uh, uh, That's where uh, the 14th and 15th, particularly the 15th Alabama was, was rushing up, had that area fallen, they could have, the, the, the Confederacy would have flanked around and overtook the union army and, and, and they would have fallen. So little round top was left in the hand of, of the 20th Maine. So 20th Maine was led by Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. Uh, and, and he had been a, a teacher at a college in, in Maine. And he was asked to come and and join the union army. He was automatically promote, promoted to Lieutenant Colonel and then eventually the colonel um, at the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, his, he had two brothers that were also in. He had one brother that was there with the 20th Maine, and he had another brother that, that was a chaplain. And so uh, Joshua Chamberlain at the, that Battle of Gettysburg at Little Round Top, and they were in a fierce battle with both the 14th and 15th Alabama, and they they were holding – uh, that um, hill, Little Round Top. And they were running out of ammo. They were down just to a few rounds left. And Colonel Chamberlain made the decision that would change uh, the, the course of history. He told his men, you know, basically we, are, we have run out of ammo. He told them to fixed bayonet and his um captain um also told his line so he says we're gonna do this um almost like a this door thing you're gonna leave from one side and i'm gonna leave from from the other side and we're gonna charge down after uh the 14th and 15th alabama so the 14th, 15th in Alabama, they were shooting, but they did not expect what, what happened, happened to see these troops running down after them. And, and it, it was like uh, crazy. And as the 20th Maine got closer, both the 14th and 15th Alabama, they turned around and they ran back down a hill. And eventually there was, um, a hundred and something, of the Confederate Confederate troops that were taken prisoner, uh, by the 20th Maine and they secured little round top. And eventually, uh, the charge that, uh, Robert E. Lee had through the center, uh, failed because they expected that they would be able to come around on the other side and, and, uh, and Gettysburg was secured and, and uh, the Union was able to hold eventually. Uh, we know the rest in terms of the end of the Civil War. But, but that decision made a profound difference. And, and a lot of times it comes from, from experience because we experienced certain things. And, and Colonel Chamberlain had some smaller um, um, battles that he engaged in. And he understood his man. He understood a lot of things, plus his experience in terms of his education as well, uh, where he understood uh, in terms of human behavior and so forth, and and then and motivation that led him to be able to make that decision, uh, which was very very powerful. And he later became governor of uh, of uh, Maine and in 1915 he he passed away from the wounds that he had during the civil war so he was actually the last person last civil war veteran to to succumb to his wounds so uh yeah so that that was uh an interesting story when when i heard about it in terms of leadership it's taught uh, in leadership I, I i have my master's in leadership and and it was one of the stories that, that I learned and that I embraced. And, and I thought it was a very powerful reminder that leadership can come from all areas. Joshua Chamberlain was a servant leader and, and he, he there, he was there to serve um, with his men. He led from the front. He led down charging down a hill with his man instead of staying back and telling his men to go charge down. He suffered, um, wounds in battle uh that almost killed him and it was wasn't until 1915 when he finally died from it but he 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 should have died earlier but he he managed to to survive a, a battle later on after uh gettysburg and and again he was very well respected by his men and by uh the the confederate generals because he's shown respect for them as well. And respect is a very, very important part of leadership. Uh, And a lot of principles from leadership that I learned when I was in the Marine Corps. And by the way, uh, there's no such thing as a former Marine. There's a a, a Marine veteran like that. So I just wanted to to, to let let you know.
0: Thank you for your service, sir. My bad.
1: Yeah. So, So those are the aspects that, that I continued to learn uh, from others, from history, how uh, leaders uh, are, are created. And he was a leader that was created from his learnings and everything. And, and he grew into to become a fine military leader and eventually a leader uh, leading the state of Maine and so forth and, and, and continuing his journey after his being a governor. Uh, back in education. And, and, and that shows me that he's just another example of many, many people, whether in a military leaders or business leaders, of true leaders that, that continue to grow. I see like you have to, have to have a growth mindset to be a really good leader and, and a nurturing necessary because he had a good family background. He came from his, uh, a religious family but taught a lot of the values uh, back from the 19th century in terms of that. So, yeah, so there was uh, a lot of aspects in terms of, um, of leadership that we can be developed into good leaders. So that's uh, what my, my take on that.
0: Wow. You've just unpacked a complete show on that story, and it is an overwhelming example of how impactful good leadership can be. Um, he would never have been able to turn to his men and ask them to do something almost so suicidal had they not respected, trusted, and understood that this is the this is the epiphany moment, and I trust this leader to, to do this. This is our way that we're going to execute ourselves out of this fiasco and turn it into a victory, and obviously he turned the tide of American history. So what a great lesson to learn from you again, Dr. Bob Cho. Uh, there's, only, there's, a, there's a reason that you are Dr. Bob Choden. that is because you're there to help us all understand some of these great things and great attributes about leadership, martial arts, and all the good things that you bring to the table. I look forward to our next session, and until then, thank you so much, and continue to lead on, sir.
1: Hoorah. Thank Oorah. you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen,
1: thank you for joining the mission. We welcome you to explore our next Mission Impossible with Coach MJ. Welcome. Meet ordinary people who have achieved
0: the extraordinary. Join us on the Mission Impossible show with Coach MJ. Like, comment, and share to inspire others to be possible today.